the Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We're going to talk about everybody wanting Aaron Rodgers back, except for the fans, maybe. We're going to also talk about the Grayson Allen hysteria and what is Marquette's ceiling when it comes to the NCAA tournament seeding. Uh, we'll talk about all of that on today's show. Excited, fired up for this one. Hope you're following us on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Also, rate, review, subscribe. If you are subscribed, please rate and review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're not subscribed for some reason, welcome to the party. Uh, and tell your friends, get them subscribing so we can have as many people in the Wisconsin sports community as possible. But as we are, we are starting with Aaron Rodgers. And the fan sentiment of the quarterback might not match what is going on in the organization. Matt LaFleur met for his exit interview today with the media. Uh, also, a lot of players did as well. Uh, but there was a consistent theme with LaFleur's conversation about Aaron Rodgers. We want him back. And it wasn't just Matt LaFleur that wanted him back. It was everybody from Mark Murphy to Brian Gunacus to Russ Ball. Whether that is coaches, coach speak, or not, I actually believe LaFleur is genuine, especially after LaFleur revealed that he had a very long talk with Rodgers, of which he would not disclose, and I think everybody would pay good money to have that conversation on the record. Uh, but I do think because that conversation did happen, there's a real chance that Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are going to run this thing back and that there is a plan in place and that Rodgers knows of this plan, that he is aligned with whatever Brian Gunacus and Russ Ball decide to do. That said, this was a brutal season. This was a brutal finish. I heard Troy Aikman on Ryan Rosillo's podcast today talk about how not winning a playoff game is sometimes almost worse than missing the playoffs altogether because it stings. You you are so good in the regular season and then to just fall flat is something that is made of nightmares and it happens and it's it's one of the worst feelings and you look like a complete fraud and you think back to those Indianapolis teams, think back to some of the, the Miami teams, other teams that have just fallen apart in the playoffs. Tennessee's had a few uh, Dallas now, or not Dallas, uh, who's the team I'm looking for? Oh, it sounds like my tongue. Denver. Sorry, Denver's had some of those. Like, it's not uncommon, um, but at the same time, it's still going to, it's still going to be painful. And that's what the Packers are going through right now, as well as the fan base. And I feel like the, the dislike for Aaron Rodgers has reached an all-time high. I think people have never more wanted to get rid of Aaron Rodgers and start fresh and start anew and just rid themselves of this quote-unquote Rodgers problem. But the reason that people want to get rid of Aaron Rodgers, not just as the fans, but I do think some of the media as well, are three real things. The anti-vaccine, anti-government commentary, the innate ability to come up big, and the lack of him being a team player aka him being a diva. I think fans are out for blood. I think fans do not really want Aaron Rodgers to be back as a Green Bay Packer. It's a weird spectrum shift as we've seen this throughout the years. I mean, 2008, Rodgers went in as this vilified guy that he was the guy 
to replace Brett Favre. He would never be Brett Favre. He got booed on Family Night famously. And then Aaron Rodgers went through the roof. He wins the MVP here. He wins the Super Bowl, then wins the MVP, then is considered one of the all-time greats, and now has had this sort of fall from grace and where you really can't consider him a part of the all-time greats with one Super Bowl and a lot of colossal, colossal chokes. He has now put himself more in that Peyton Manning, Dan Marino conversation than, let's say, a Tom Brady, a Joe Montana even a John Elway, it pains me to say. Um, Terry Bradshaw. And not Terry Bradshaw. Fuck him. Terry Bradshaw has a bunch of Super Bowl wins, but not Terry Bradshaw. I don't know what I'm doing there. But anyways, uh, he he isn't a part of that upper echelon because he's not been able to get there. Now, there's still time. There's still a couple years, maybe, for Rodgers. But Rodgers might say, you know what? I'm done. I, I don't need this shit anymore. I don't need the fans not wanting me. And I'll go somewhere where I'm beloved and cherished. Because I guarantee you, if he comes to Denver, which has been a wet dream for so many Broncos fans, they're going to welcome him with open arms. If he goes to a place like Indianapolis, they're going to be embracing him. Same with Tennessee. Same with uh, Las Vegas. I mean, there are so many teams that would love to have Aaron Rodgers. So the idea that the all of our fans do not want him is kind of crazy to me. It's crazy that somebody would just say, all right, fuck this guy. We don't want an back-to-back MVP because the drama and the stress around him is just too much. I think that as time goes on, as the you know winter you know fades away, spring and summer football starts again, the yearning for Aaron Rodgers will come back. I mean, this is similar to Favre, right? When Favre retired, everybody was ready for Favre to retire. Everybody was ready for Favre to just step down. He had that brutal game against the Giants, as many have compared to this game. And everyone was saying, okay, it's Rodgers' time. It's Rodgers' time. And then once July hit and Favre was like, I want to come back. I have this itch, whatever. People were like, fuck this Aaron Rodgers guy. I want Brett Favre again. And so I, I do think the fan in everybody is going to want Aaron Rodgers back at some point. It's like, I don't know about you guys, but I always want to play football in July or August. I don't care how, how old I'll be. I'll always think that I should be out on a football field in early August. And what would two-a-days feel like in whatever weather it may be? I It's less and less as I get older. But when I was like 25, 26, and I was just about four or five years removed from football, I wanted to be out there every August, September, and it it, it hurt at certain points. It made you sad. And I, I feel like that's the same way with fans. Like starting something new, no matter what it is, is scary. Change sucks. No, none of us like change. We wanna be comfortable with what we have had for years, right? Why would we do something different? Why would we shake it up? And I do understand some who feel like we've peaked with Aaron Rodgers. Fair. But at the same time, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in football. And we'll get into like the why everyone hates Aaron Rodgers and where where do we go from here? And what Rodgers has to do to basically bring the fans back. Number one, the people who don't like Aaron Rodgers because of anti-vaccine, some of the anti-government comments... Those people probably you're never going to get back. 
It's the inverse of Republicans buy sneakers too, which is the famous Michael Jordan comment in the 90s. Liberals are fans of the Packers too. It's not just a bunch of Republicans who are still hoping that Trump's going to win the 2024 election that cheer for the Packers. There are liberals who love the Packers just like there are Republicans, just like there are people who don't give a shit about politics and the far progressive socialist left and the far right QAnon there there's so many Packer fans right there are probably political parties that I don't even fucking know about that are Packer fans all right but those who are against Rogers politics will say I am out and that's not a guy I want to cheer for fair that's absolutely fair that is your choice there are people who don't cheer for the Bucks because they're quote-unquote anti-police i am not one of those people but that's a comment i've heard from somebody so you know what i mean like that's a personal choice and i'm not going to get into that because it's your choice and your opinion i respect it I, i don't think you should let politics come into sports and i think you should just separate the two and not let it consume your fucking life but if that's what you want to do go ahead I understand that. I understand being dug in on that. I'm not going to shame anybody for it. And I hope you don't shame me for not really caring or, you know, just understanding that Rogers is his own dude. And if Rogers wants to do that, that's his choice. And I'm okay with it. I I can live with that for Aaron Rodgers. I honestly can. And yes, he is at the point of like Kyrie Irving level of crazy where you don't necessarily know what's coming next. And I I do think that whether it be a PR agency, whether it be Packers PR says, look, dude, I know you don't, I know you want to act like you don't give a fuck and I get it, but we do need you to scale it back just a little bit for the exact thing that I said at the open. Liberals are Packer fans too. Okay. So I just want people to understand that I, I do think you need to kind of, Rodgers should scale it back. Rodgers should not necessarily be this player next year. And this might just be an out of character thing. And maybe with COVID lessening and becoming an endemic, maybe that we will start seeing less of this from Rodgers in general. And he just has a fresh perspective on everything. We do ask our athletes not to be robots, and Rodgers is the least of the robots, but I do think that the genuine parts of Aaron Rodgers get lost because of this stuff. The stuff that we saw Pat Mahomes do with Josh Allen, right? Running to Josh Allen, or Josh Allen not blaming the OT rules after the game, or the confidence of Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has a lot of early Aaron Rodgers in him, if you really kind of compare the two, just the way they talk to the media. I'm not saying the way they play, I'm just saying the way they talk to the media. It reminds me a lot of what I used to see from Rodgers. That stuff gets lost. Like Mahomes, people hate Mahomes because of his fucking wife and brother. Like, it's crazy, right? We just choose, we know too much about these people. And unfortunately, I think if we just saw Rogers the guy, I think there'd still be a lot of hate. But I don't know if it would be as severe. Number two, I think there are people, obviously, who are worried that he'll never come up big. This is just who Rogers is, and he's never able to come off the mat. Remember, John Elway and Peyton Manning, one going out. 
Yes, Peyton Manning had one Super Bowl loss before then. He comes back and wins one. That last year, Peyton Manning, he was a complete shell of himself. But Manning had one of the best defenses he's ever played with, with that 2015 Denver team. And they also played a weak Carolina bunch to get there and an out-of-the-body experience for Cam Newton, who never faced a defense like Denver all season. John Elway got two Super Bowls, likely because of Terrell Davis, and basically stunning our Packers in 1998 um, in one the first the first game that I had ever cried and ever felt depressed afterwards. I remember going into third grade and having to deal with that on Monday and and how much it sucked and how much I hated it. And it it was the first. I think it's really the first time I can pinpoint having pain as a sports fan was third grade Packers Broncos and dealing with that loss and and feeling what that was like. But LA got his redemption after many years of heartache. Sometimes they don't. We've seen Dan Marino. We saw Jim Kelly. Drew Brees is another one, right? Drew Brees never got back. Big Ben had it multiple, so he was able to kind of skate by, even though he didn't necessarily have that last moment of, of glory, if you will. But Aaron Rodgers can come back. But Rodgers has to figure out how to treat these games like he used to. Aaron Rodgers used to be a pretty good playoff quarterback. And something has happened to Aaron Rodgers where the moment gets too big for him. Last year, it was him versus Tom Brady. It was Brady Rodgers. It was everything that we have wanted for years. We finally got Brady Rodgers in the playoffs. After the Packers and Patriots got so close so many years, you finally get in the NFC Championship. And Rodgers has a chance to overtake Brady in the second half, and he comes up short. He could have led this amazing comeback that rewrites his legacy, and everything changes. Every fucking thing changes, but it didn't happen. And even though people criticize LaFleur or criticize Rodgers for not running, there's there's so much more that was to that. And I, I almost need to rewatch that game because I don't remember that game as much as I, I probably should. I don't know if it was because I had been drinking. I don't know if it was because I was out. But that's one of those games where even though it would be torture to watch, I, I would be interested to see how how close they were and compare it to this one. I, I might be a masochist. I don't know. But the other part is this moment for the 49ers got too big because of everything around the 49ers. Rodgers had lost to him three times. It was the team that spurned Rodgers years ago. I don't think that matters as much anymore. It was a team that maybe Rodgers wanted to go to this offseason. Rodgers wanted to shove it in everybody's face that everybody was wrong about him all season. And again, it got too big. The moment got too big. He locked in on Devontae and never got off it. It feels like Aaron Rodgers is trying to prove something after Mike McCarthy. He's trying to prove a point. And this has inherently broke him in the playoffs. He just needs to be Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't need to be this hero ball dude. He doesn't need to try to Kobe Bryant his way out of it. it. It's similar to what Kobe would do in some of these late game scenarios. And where Kobe wouldn't let his teammates take over. Wouldn't trust his teammates. And it was just Aaron Rodgers. Remember some of the great Aaron Rodgers playoff games. Like people act like it hasn't happened recently. Like 
The guy basically single-handedly nearly won the Arizona game, and he probably should have if Mike McCarthy had any balls to go for two. In every scenario, they should have went for two in that situation. Arizona was dead. Arizona was dead in the fucking water, and the Packers had basically nobody at receiver. Don't even go to overtime. Go for two. If you lose, your team was pretty much on sticks at that point. The Packer game against the Cowboys with Jared Cook and that incredible catch. That was as memorable of a Rodgers game as you're going to get. Rodgers against Seattle in 2019 was good. I, At least from my remembrance. I don't have the stats up, but he just, at some point, it gets too big, man. Or they just don't have enough. And he, he the demons play in. And it's I think it's gotten worse after McCarthy. Because he wants to still say, I won this war. And I don't think there's a debate. Like, I don't think Rodgers needs it, man. Like, I think people could look at it and say, yeah, dude, you were right. You were right. McCarthy didn't know what the fuck he was doing. We've seen McCarthy with Dallas. It, it hasn't worked out the way that maybe Dallas had hoped and made Mike McCarthy had hoped. Like, you won this war. You don't need to prove anything. You need to, yeah, prove that you can win another one, but you don't need to, like, it's the, you don't have to go this extra mile. You just have to be yourself. So I do think there's a lot of psychology that needs to happen with him. And you can act like you don't give a fuck, but this tells me how much you really do care. The last thing about Aaron Rodgers being a diva and the fans not wanting that guy, I just don't find that true. To me, it is the fakest of fake narratives. I think Aaron Rodgers is a great teammate. I think his teammates talk about how much he's a good teammate. I think all of that is bullshit, personally. I think that's people who aren't doing their due diligence and are not doing the research that it takes. Adam Schefter had that Aaron Rodgers story forever. Whether it was leaked by Rodgers camp or not, that remains to be left unseen. The reason it was done on draft day because Adam Schefter wanted headlines. Adam Schefter is not a fucking journalist. Adam Schefter is an entertainer. And that's why Adam Schefter kept it for the draft. It was not done by Aaron Rodgers. That is a false narrative. And a lot of the bullshit that went around this offseason was mostly driven by media and driven by people who were not close to Aaron Rodgers. It was very similar to a lot of the Giannis Supermax extension where... You didn't really know who to trust in that stuff and you had to really keep it close to the vest because there weren't a ton of people that actually knew what Giannis was going on. Aaron Rodgers loved his teammates, man. He he just did. And yes, he was frustrated at Brian Gunacoust. And I think that a lot of people can kind of see it, right? Like Tom Brady had similar issues with Bill Belichick and most people have said Bill is a one of one guy. Brian Gunacus fucked up. We've said this before on this podcast, but we'll, we'll say it again. Brian Gunacus, not a people got people person guy, a scout from trade, didn't understand that he needed to treat Rodgers a little bit different because Ted didn't treat him different. He thought that was the model. And as the player empowerment grew, Brian Gunacus missed that. And Brian Gunacus needed to capitalize that. As a young GM, he failed that mission. And he's gotten better at it. And I think Roger said, even at his post-game presser, that, that they their relationship has improved a lot. 
I don't think Aaron Rodgers leaves because of relationships and him being a quote-unquote diva. I think if Rodgers leaves, it's more of number two. That the inability to come up big is that Rodgers and the Packers both agree that this might have been a point of no return and this might have been a rock bottom. And Rodgers doesn't feel like he has anything left to give Green Bay and just needs to start something new. And Green Bay will work with him and probably trade him to an AFC team. But for the fans that want Aaron Rodgers traded, I guess I would just say be careful what you wish for. I am not necessarily anti-trade Aaron Rodgers. I'm open to both sides of this argument. I'm open to Aaron Rodgers coming back and unleashing Fury and actually getting it done in the playoffs. But I, I do admit that my attitude in the regular season is going to be much more cautious than it ever has been. I'm also open to the idea of just starting new with Jordan Love or somebody else and seeing what happens and seeing what Matt LaFleur looks like as a head coach and what Matt LaFleur could do without Aaron Rodgers. And maybe Matt LaFleur, if they are successful, if they're 11 and 6 or they're, you know, even 10 and 7, I think without Rodgers, I think that's a coach of the year for Matt LaFleur. He fucking deserves it. We'll see if he gets it this year. I think Zach Taylor, even though it's a regular season award, I do think Zach Taylor is going to get a lot of love. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. And I'm not going to close the door to either. And I know the Packers have been doing this for a long fucking time. And they they know what's best. And they've, they've guided this organization through a lot of things throughout the last 30 years to be successful. I don't think the dark ages are coming. Maybe that's naive of me. But I do think that the Packers are going to figure this out. And maybe, just maybe, at some point in our lives, we'll get redemption for all the bullshit that we've went through for the last few years. All right, let's talk about something else in the Packers, shall we? Something else that actually gets me fired up too, though. Uh, Grayson Allen hysteria that's going on right now in the NBA world. Grayson Allen, if you missed it, uh, which I don't understand how you couldn't, Grayson Allen had a very hard follow on Alex Caruso on Friday night in the Bulls-Bucks game. The game was on ESPN. Caruso uh, broke his wrist. At, we found didn't find that out right away, but he did break his wrist. Also, Allen was kicked out of the game for a flagrant two. It was the first flagrant foul of Grayson Allen's career. Grayson Allen, though, has had a history, as you all know, in college. And so everybody has come down on Grayson Allen with the fury of a thousand suns. You'd think for a fan base like the Bulls who cheered for the 90s team that were hard motherfuckers and did not put up with any shit and that had players like Dennis Rodman kicking cameramen in the nuts and throwing elbows whenever he goddamn pleased, that they would actually embrace you know hard fouls and understand that it's part of basketball. But these motherfuckers are acting like Grayson Allen murdered Alex Caruso. Yes, he got an injury. That's unfortunate. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's really not that serious. It even wasn't a hard foul. His momentum took, well, it was a hard foul. I shouldn't say that. But it wasn't a flagrant. He took his body into Caruso. And unfortunately, his momentum carried him. And it looked way worse. The re- the replay obsession that we have in the sort of 
world of NBA leads us to this type of shit because we're able to watch it hundreds and hundreds of times and NBA loves a good story. They love a good pile-on. So, of course, he's a Duke player. So, of course, everyone's going to dogpile on him. Grayson Allen was much maligned as a college kid. And, unfortunately, people can't take the college out of this equation. They hate him because he went to Duke. I said even when they got Grayson Allen, I said, now he's our asshole. Like, he's our guy. And actually, his girlfriend was tagged in that. Someone tagged his girlfriend. His girlfriend's like, he's a really nice guy. Like, I don't know. And I, I felt terrible about it. I'll be honest. Because they, like, I think people don't understand who Grayson Allen is. And Grayson Allen has never really shown signs of this every game dirty player. He, he had a hard foul that probably even shouldn't have been a flagrant. But because he went to Duke, because he has a reputation, it's immediately like Grayson Allen is the worst human on earth. He's getting compared by some NBA people to Ted Bundy. I think I saw a Hitler. Comp- like, it's just so absurd. It's so outrageous and hyperbolic that it's just ridiculous. You have Michael Wilbon today, last couple days, call Grayson Allen a thug. That is embarrassing and shameful. A thug is a word we do not use in the NBA. Why? Because it's a negative connotation to African Americans. It is a connotation that people would use all the time to describe black Americans who people had problems with or that were maybe, you know, some looked suspicious. They call them thugs and things like that. Yes, Grayson Allen is a cream cheese white boy. Don't get me wrong here, but he should not be called a thug. If A black man in the NBA cannot be called a thug. Grayson Allen cannot be called a thug either. Let's call this both ways. Let's make sure that we are practicing both sides here. And we're not using that word at all. Because Michael Wilbon calling him a thug. Why can't somebody call Kelly Oubre a thug for what he did to, I forget, I think it was John Collins or Taylor... Talon Horn Tucker. Is he a thug for his follow? No, no one would call those guys thugs because they get canceled immediately. What? Uh, wasn't it John Beeline? Didn't John Beeline get fucking fired for calling his players thugs? Like playing like a bunch of thugs? Like, isn't that why John Beeline lost his job with the Cleveland Cavaliers? Like, come on, man. Like, that's not a word that is used in the NBA. That has been established. If the NBA wants that, it should not go both ways. That is not fair to Grayson Allen. That's not fair to anybody in the NBA. And Wilbon should be embarrassed. And he he won't be. But he's too much of a Bulls homer to understand that that is not appropriate. Also, let's just just call for what it is. If Alex Caruso doesn't break his wrist, this discourse isn't happening. If Alex Caruso doesn't break his wrist, we are not having this conversation at all. Everybody has forgotten about it. But because Caruso broke his wrist, because the Bulls are a very public team, everybody's going to squawk about it. The Bulls got Zach Levine back. They blew out the... Or no, they didn't blow out the Thunder. The Thunder actually came back late. Um, but the, the Bulls, like... The Bulls have been, you know, one of the nice surprises this year. So I think when people saw that ruined by a guy that a lot of people don't like, of course everybody came down with fury. But the fact of the matter is, is that if Caruso isn't hurt, no one cares. No, everyone moves on. Like John Collins didn't get hurt by Kelly Oubre, it looks like. 
I don't know who Talon Horton Tucker followed, but I know he had a flagrant foul this weekend too. No one's talking about those guys. No one, no one gives a fuck, right? But because Caruso got hurt, it's this whole big thing. And I guess now the Bucks are just a disliked team, that they're just a quote-unquote dirty team. There's there's that conversation, right? I think there will be that narrative painted that the Bucks are a little bit dirty. And I guess to my point on that is I will not apologize for my basketball team. And I actually fucking love that. If people are that insecure about the Milwaukee Bucks, it means we have them. It means that we already are winning in the mental game if they're worried about what the Bucks might do on the court. And everything's under a microscope, then Giannis better get a bunch of hard fouls. I saw Dan Schaefer, who had like a meme that was like, I'll trade you Grace a long Grace and Alex suspension for a friendly Giannis whistle. Because seriously, like there was a guy, I saw another guy too, who was like, How can people complain about Giannis when he gets he shoots the most free throws in the league? Like, are you that fucking dense, my guy? Like, are you really that dense? Are you are you really that stupid? Because honestly, like that, tell me you don't watch the Bucks. Giannis gets raked across his arms. Giannis has blood always on his fucking arms. Yet apparently, because he takes a bunch of free throws, it's okay. I'm just telling you, like Bucks fans are gonna be obnoxious with this shit. They're not. They don't let things go. I remember getting so annoyed at Bucks Twitter for getting mad about the Heat game getting flipped off, like uh, at the beginning of the uh, 2020 season. And, and people still talk about it. People still make those jokes. It's like, guys, it's over. It's okay. Like, it happened. Bucks Twitter doesn't let shit go, man. And it's going to be a thing that we bring up all the time whenever a hard foul happens against the Bucks. And we're going to call for this just like people did for Grayson Allen. And I'll tell you right now, that Bulls-Bucks game in March is going to be something. It's going to be a heated matchup. I think there is a point to go, honestly. I saw Junes, I think was his name, uh, talk about going to the United Center uh, wearing Grayson Allen jerseys. He said he'd buy everybody. I don't believe that for a second. But I still think that would be awesome if there was a section of Bucks fans just cheering on Grayson Allen. I mean, that's talk about choosing violence there. But yeah, the Bulls-Bucks rivalry, man, it's fucking there. It's real. And I actually love it. Like, I'm sorry, like I, I'm a slut for a good rivalry and I'm always going to take that. And I, I think the fact that we get this now because of this whole scenario, it's this is the type of shit that sparks rivalries, the type of thing that gets people mad. And I guarantee you there's going to be a very hard follow on Giannis by Tony Bradley. It will happen. And, I, and who knows what, what comes after. And what probably comes after is Tony Bradley is going to get punched by Bobby Portis. Actually, I'll tell you right now. Brooks playing, I think he he would catch one from Brook too. I think it would get really ugly really quick. And the Bucks are not a team you want to fuck with. And I think that's what it's proving, if anything. And that I knew that Grayson Allen would bring this kind of edge. And this is a good thing. I'm telling you. Like this is the fact that everybody is so wound up about this means that mentally we kind of got him already. Remember, kids, the Bucks are 18-3 and three with their big three playing. No one's been able to really touch them when their big three are out on the court and they've beat down every contender they've faced. They're the best team in the basket, best team in the NBA. It's not even close. And this type of insecurity just furthers that point. 
Let's wrap up the show with the Marquette Golden Eagles, the hottest team in college basketball. The Golden Eagles have won six straight games, had great wins against uh, Villanova and Xavier. We did a podcast on Thursday kind of talking about the reclamation of Marquette, which you can go back and listen to if you're interested or if you missed it. But Marquette is opening up eyes and to the question of really where is their ceiling? They have a long way to go, right? It might be a little too early for this, but you have to at least ask the question after two amazing wins. And I think they've now, what, beat like four four ranked opponents. I mean, they have six quad one wins. This has been an incredible coaching job by Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart weirdly feels home and he hasn't even coached a full season. This feels more like Shaka Smart than any of the years in Texas. I really should check in with my cousin who is a UT grad who was kind of like very unsure about the Shaka hire for Marquette. He was like, oh, good luck, man. Kind of one of those. And now it's like, well, I mean, I fucking love the guy. So I, I guess guess it worked out. I guess this was, this was a good thing. But I mean, to beat Villanova and Xavier, probably your two best teams in the conference, Providence, I think, could make a claim. and We'll see what Marquette does against the Friars on Saturday, who they did blow out already, by the way. So Marquette has now, take to add on to that, they've taken down the three best teams in the Big East this season already. And for Marquette to do it in back-to-back games and do it with defense, it's really impressive. It really makes you think the sky is the limit. You may, it makes you think that they can play with anybody. And Justin Lewis and Darren Morsell have been phenomenal basketball players. And those guys have been the one-two punch for Marquette with splashes of Tyler Kolick. Uh, Kirk Huth has had moments. Uh, you know, Cam Jones, I love. I, I mean, Cam Jones. Cam Jones is going to be a player. Like, Cam Jones has, like, the scoring ability to be, like, a Big East player of the year. And, and that might, again, be a little hyperbole. But at the same time, like, I do think that Cam Jones can be awesome for this team. And he's going to have another moment or two. He was really good in that Xavier game. He had 12 points, hit the biggest shot of the game. And to have the confidence to shoot it was incredible. Um, And it was pure. It was just such a good shot. And Marquette, man, is rolling. And they're feeling good. And the road isn't easy. I mean, they got to play Seton Hall, who just got dusted at home to St. John's. Now they're missing Bryce Aiken. And if they don't have Bryce Aiken for Wednesday, that's going to be a big deal. And that's also, remember, that'll be Seton Hall's third game in less than a week. Uh, They're making up a lot of stuff with COVID. So they played St. John's on Saturday. They played St. John's on Monday. And now they play St. John's again on Wednesday. Or I'm sorry, Marquette on Wednesday. So that's three games and five nights. That's a lot to ask for for a college basketball team. Be interested to see how Seton Hall does respond. It's a, it's definitely a game where Marquette, if they punch him in the mouth early, I don't know if Seton Hall is going to get back up. And then you have Providence, who will be obviously looking for revenge. Weird shit happens when Marquette and Providence play in Providence or just in general. Who can forget the bat? Who can forget the random guy that came onto the court? There have just been a multitude of weird games. Ben Bentle dropping 50 points and then disappearing into thin air. But still, Marquette Providence, always weird. The matter, no matter what, Marquette, though, is playing with house money. Um, they have four hard road game, four hard games in a row. But even if they go two and two, no one's going to be sad. No one's going to be 
crying about that. That's not something that we're going to look back in anger. Now, if they lose four straight, yeah, that's going to be a step back. But it doesn't mean that Marquette's going to suddenly be on the bubble. They've kind of established themselves as a tournament team. The question is, just how high can it go? And it's really weird to go into every game thinking you're going to win. I think with Wojo, you always felt like the shoe was going to drop on the other foot. And now it feels like Marquette isn't scared of anybody. That Villanova game told me that. That Villanova game was my sort of awakening, if you will, and why I did the podcast and opened with it, uh, was the fact that it was just like this idea of we aren't afraid of anybody. And we can play with, like, if we want to play Auburn, like, we can beat Auburn. Like, whatever. Gonzaga, sure. We'll figure out a way. We'll find a way. They're a very well-connected basketball team. I think Jay Wright said that. And it's really true. I think they are extremely well-connected and playing great basketball. Marquette right now is a sixth seed in Jerry Palm's bracket, playing Indiana out in Portland with a showdown with UCLA looming. I would love that rematch. I would love to get UCLA again. I think that actually bodes well for Marquette. I think there would be a lot of revenge factor for for Marquette if they were to face UCLA again. I feel the same way if they were to play Wisconsin, even though I do think a Marquette-Wisconsin tournament game would probably burn down southeastern Wisconsin. I, I, I don't know. I think that would be full-on rivalry mode, every man for himself, pick your side, pick your battle, and who would, who would go there. Now, you won't get it in the first two rounds because Wisconsin is likely going to be in Milwaukee. They would take, they would need like an epic collapse for them to not necessarily be in that Milwaukee area. Um, I think it's going to take a lot for Wisconsin to not be playing here in Milwaukee, which is a massive advantage for the Badgers, and they will probably likely benefit, and that could lead them all the way to the Sweet 16. It has it sometimes hasn't worked in the past. You know, UNLV knocked them off here in Milwaukee. Gosh, goddamn, that was that was in I think I was like 2005, 2006. I'd have to get my Badger fact checkers on that. But anyways, as for Marquette, to go back to Marquette, I really think the ceiling, if it continues on this path, is a four seed. I I don't see anything higher than that. They have a couple losses, obviously. The Creighton one's a bad one. They probably are going to have another bad loss in there. It's just it's fucking college basketball. All right, these are kids. They're they're going to have one that you just are like, what the fuck, right? Whether it's losing at DePaul or losing, I don't know. I couldn't imagine them losing at home to Georgetown, but something dumb, right? Something dumb always seems to happen in the college basketball season. So I think the ceiling is a four. I mean, that would be, I mean, if they're a top 16 seed, I mean, Chaga Smart is easily the coach of the year. There's no there's no debate. I mean, this Marquette team was picked 11th, and Chaka Smart has them as a top 16 seed in college basketball. That would be absolutely crazy. I don't think a three is in there, is in the cards, but who knows, right? What if Marquette just continues to dominate? What if they continue to sort of be the class of the Big East. I mean, it's still Villanova's league and then everybody else, but you never know, man. I am I am a full-on all-in believer. This is as good as I've felt about a Marquette team since that but the last second last Buzz team in what, 2013, when they went to the Elite Eight and lost to Syracuse in that brutal like 50 to 42 game that wanted to make me gouge my eyes out. 
Um, that was a fun night, though, because I think you had Wisconsin after it who beats Arizona. They go to the Final Four, and we got so fucking drunk that night. <laughs> like, that was actually a night where one of us, who, might, who I might do a podcast with, I don't know, you might know him, uh, he may or may not have gotten part of his ear bitten off at formerly known as Arts. Um, we, I don't think he'd tell that story on the pod. Like, I think he would be uncomfortable telling that story. But it's an all-timer. I We don't really remember it because we ended up Flannery's and we blacked out. And then we ended up at Arts. That was bad. It was just it was a shit show. Uh, but, again, you know, maybe probably telling a, little, telling a little too much. But it's late in the night. It's late in the podcast. It's a little flavor saver for all of you that are still listening. I think the floor, just really quick, with Marquette is probably a 9 or a 10. If things really go south, um, that would be probably where they end up. It's hard for me to imagine them going all the way down to 11, given this stretch of games. But we have seen bad Februaries. And it's weird to go into a February and not necessarily... I mean, I know we have a couple weeks left, but it going to sort of the last full month of the college basketball season and not feel this anxiety of when is the losing streak going to start? Because that was that was kind of the trend, right? All of a sudden, they would just sort of fall apart. And whether that... I always claimed it was Wojo worked the guys too hard and didn't sort of have them, you know, prepared for the stretch of games. I'm not worried about that with this Marquette team. I'm just not. They're, they're dogs, and they play like them. And I really, I really just love a lot of what I've seen from Marquette. And I, I've said it last week, and I'll say it again. It's been a hell of a year. It's been a ton of fun to reignite my love for Marquette basketball. All right, that does it for the show. We will be back tomorrow with Tabbing the Keg. It's going to be a fun one. Um, we, I think, are scheduled to have Murph on. Uh, Murph... He's not taking this Packer loss well. Uh, he wanted to come on and talk. We usually have Murph on once a quarter. Um, we'll also update everybody on our draft series that Murph and I did last year. Uh, it's likely coming back. I'm excited for that, actually. I I love doing it. Um, I It made me sort of appreciate the draft and watch the draft more and made me smarter about the NFL draft, which I really enjoyed and thought it was a little something different but i think we'd structure it better this year just given you know it was all kind it was it ran a little bit all together but we'll, we'll get better at that so don't worry you know that's that's how it's how we work and everything like that so definitely excited to talk to murph um mitt we'll get mitch on grayson um as well as as well as other stuff with mitch as well and we'll get his thoughts on the packers and yeah it'll be a great show i'm excited for it all right Take care of yourself. Have a great Tuesday. It's going to get better, guys. We're going to we're going to get through this as the game falls apart, as the game gets farther away, we're going to start feeling a lot better. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.